0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the New Testament reading of Hebrews, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if you've been with us these last two weeks at all, you'll know that we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and certain heroes of the faith, people specifically mentioned in that chapter who are commended for their faith. They walked by faith, not by sight, and they were well regarded for believing without seeing. The first week we had heard about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. And last week, we looked specifically at Abraham and Jephthah. Today, we're going to go back to this hall of faith and revisit one person who is mentioned in our reading from Hebrews chapter 12, and that is Abel. We didn't hear too much in Hebrews 11 about Abel, apart from the fact that he had brought his Firstborn of his flock as an offering to God, in faith. And as a result, it was more acceptable than Cain's. His faith was credited to him as righteousness. Abel gave his firstborn his first fruits. And his example, offering his best, still speaks to us today. And today we heard in the reading about the church, God's people coming to worship. And we heard that we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In Hebrews 11, we hear about Abel's example still speaking to us today. And here in Hebrews 12, we hear about Abel's blood speaking to us. Now, in order to understand what's meant by this, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. Well, almost. We go back to Genesis chapter 4 to the story of Cain and Abel. There we learn about these two brothers Cain, the oldest who worked the ground, worked the fields, he was a farmer. And Abel, being the youngest who was a shepherd. They both had different responsibilities in their family. They had different roles to play. And then they both bring offerings to God. Except Cain's sacrifice, his offering, was not acceptable to God. God had no regard for it. While Abel's was acceptable, and God had regard for it. It's in Hebrews that we learn... It's because Abel brought forth his offering in faith. As a result of God favoring Abel's sacrifice, or not favoring Cain's, Cain was very angry. And because these two are siblings, you can imagine that maybe there's some sibling rivalry happening here. Maybe Cain sees Abel as being God's favorite, and he doesn't like it. Maybe Cain is jealous over the fact that his offering was rejected, not accepted by God, while Abel's was. And God warns Cain about his anger, that sin is crouching at his door, and he needs to rule over it. He needs to not give into temptation, to not take his anger out on Abel. Do you think Cain listens to God? I mean, we could put it in a different context. Since, you know, God is our Heavenly Father, do children always listen to their parents? Especially when they tell them not to do something? Especially in moments when children are angry? Angry? Like if you tell your child to relax or calm down when they're losing control, do they do it? Or do they scream even louder and lose control even more? I think adults might even have a problem with this one. I mean, if you're upset about something and I say to you, just relax. (laughs) How easy is that for you to do? Or... Are you going to want to punch me in the face? Yeah, I saw some heads nodding. Cain doesn't punch his brother in the face. They're out in the fields, and Cain kills Abel. Now, we're not sure if Cain just leaves him out there in the field, or if he maybe buries him, but Cain gives into that anger, that jealousy, maybe resentment, gives into temptation, and he takes his brother out. If Cain were to take after his parents, well, I might say that, you know, he did something to at least hide the body. If we think about what Adam and Eve do in the garden after they sin, they they cover themselves up with fig leaves. They hide from God. It's possible that after Cain sins, after he murders his brother, that he covers it up. That he hides Abel's body maybe he hides it hides it in the ground he hides it from god and we don't get god walking in the garden anymore calling out because adam and eve have already been kicked out of the garden never to enter it again we just get god saying to cain where is abel your brother he said i do not know am i my brother's keeper And here we have the famous phrase that's still used today. Am I my brother's keeper? If you grew up with siblings, maybe you said this at least once. If you don't have siblings, maybe you've said it in response to someone asking where someone is. At work, at school, at church. Ultimately, what this response is, am I my brother's keeper, is a hands-off approach to the relationship with someone. You don't want to take any responsibility for someone else, for their well-being. And so we use this phrase as an excuse to not care about someone. This is part of the me-first world that we live in, that people have been living in since the time of Adam and Eve. It's this selfish, self-centered, sinful nature that all of us are born with because of the sin that has been passed down to us from Adam and Eve, from the beginning. We don't want interdependence. We don't want to rely on other people to count on each other. We want independence. And this thought isn't just independence from people. This is independence from God as well. We want to be free of his rules and his commands and his obligations and free from him not accepting our offerings that we're presenting to him. He should just take it regardless of how it's brought to him. We don't want God telling us that our actions are wrong. We don't want to be accountable to someone. We want to be accountable to others ourselves. Am I my brother's keeper? No, I am my own keeper. This line of thinking, this line of believing, only leads to sin and death. For Cain, it led to him actually murdering his brother. For us, it leads us into sin. Maybe not murder, but We read in God's word that even hatred towards someone is murder. And as 1 John says, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know that our sins have consequences. From the sin of Adam and Eve, death was brought into the world. Physical death, as we will all one day experience death on this earth, unless Christ comes back first. We are also born with this sinful nature that causes us to sin, causes us to hate, causes us to murder. We are born naturally opposed to God. We are at odds with God, and the last thing that we want to do is believe in him. And so we do not want faith. And to anyone that does not have faith, there is no eternal life abiding in them. And if there's no eternal life, there is only eternal death. There is only condemnation. There is only hell. This is what is in store for us as sin and temptation crouches at our door. When that door opens, there is only death. And what does God have to say about it? Well, let's go back to Cain and see what he says to him. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Abel's blood cries out from the ground. In his death, his blood speaks. Now, you may have wondered why we sang a Lenten hymn today but it's because of the verse that speaks of Abel. Verse four says, Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies. Abel's blood speaks. Your blood speaks. Did you know that? Why don't you just do a quick check, check your pulse. All right, you take a moment, feel your pulse. You go ahead, you can. It's okay. You go ahead. Feel your pulse. All right, it means that your heart is working. Right? It is pumping blood throughout your body, those veins and arteries. Your blood speaks life. The beat of your heart is this beautiful melody of life. You are alive just as God intended. Abel was not alive, just as God did not intend. And in his death, his blood spoke. His blood that had been spilled on the ground, on the earth that God had created, cried out against death, cried out for justice. And it cried out for vengeance, as the song says. Our blood was never intended to leave the body, never intended to be soaked up by the ground. We are created to live forever, but that has been ruined because of sin. The ground became cursed because of sin. And now the curse of sin, death, has been spilled upon the cursed ground. And what's God's response? Do you think he's going to go eye for eye, tooth for tooth with Cain? Will Cain get the punishment that he deserves, the retribution that Abel's blood cries out for? Will he receive death? God says, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. God does not take Cain's life, even though he may have deserved it. Instead, God gives Cain what he doesn't deserve. He gives him grace. Yes, the ground where Abel's blood was shed was cursed. And so Cain will wander the earth. He did not want to be his brother's keeper. And now he will get what he thinks he wants. No brother to keep. Because he will wander alone. However, Cain is concerned. And he said to God, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain fears for his life. Everyone will know that he is Abel's killer, and maybe seek their own retaliation. God responds with, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. God again gives him what he doesn't deserve. He preserves his life and he marks him in order to protect him from anyone that may seek his life. Today, blood still speaks. We go back to the song. Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies, but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. God does not want our death, even though we deserve it. God gives us what we don't deserve. He still gives us his grace. And our verse from Hebrews tells us, Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel was a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Abel was innocent, and he was killed. Jesus was innocent, and he allowed himself to be crucified, voluntarily laying down his perfect life. Abel's blood cries out for vengeance. And Jesus' innocent blood cries out for pardon, for forgiveness. You can imagine as the the blood is flowing from Jesus' body, from his heart, and out towards his hands and his feet where the nails are out of his head where the crown of thorns is, out of his side where the spear pierces him after he lays down his life, as his blood pours down his body, down the cross and lands on that same cursed ground that Abel's blood did, that this time that blood speaks life. It speaks to the eternal life that Jesus is winning for you on the cross. As 1 Corinthians tells us, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. It is through Jesus' death, through his blood being poured out, that we receive life. And his resurrection from the dead proves that he is the way, the truth, the resurrection the life, the door, the only one in whom salvation is found. And Jesus' example of offering his best, his body and his blood, still speaks to us today. He does not withhold even his very own life from us in order to give us what we don't deserve, the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life heaven for all who believe. Jesus calls us as his dearly loved children. He marks us in our baptism, a different mark than the one Cain received. But he marks us as ones redeemed by him against anyone who would seek to take our life, the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh all wanting our death, all wanting our destruction. In our baptism, we are covered with Christ and his righteousness in order to protect us from death, to give us life. Then Jesus gives us his same body and blood that was shed on the cross for us in his supper, and it speaks to us forgiveness, life, and salvation. His blood speaks a better word than Abel's because his blood cries out for you. His blood cries out so that you would receive exactly what he wants for you. And his example shows us how to be the body of Christ and how to be our brother's keeper. Because Jesus loves each and every one of us. He is the keeper of all of us. He wants all of us to be gathered around his word and his sacraments to receive his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and his salvation. He wants us to be the body that he has made us to be. We are one body. But there are many members of that body. And every member has a role to play in order for the body to function as a whole. We are the body of Christ. And we need to be accountable to one another. We need to be our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper. This is how God intended his church to be. To be the keepers of our brothers and sisters. And he helps us to do it. He helps us to love others, to care for others, because he is working in us so that we can be a body that functions. One body with many parts, and every part is important, and every part is required to be the body. We need our brothers and sisters here so that our body can function properly, so that we can encourage and lift up and pray for and support and love one another just as God loves us. Because he loves every part. He died for every part of the body, every member of the body. He died to give us life. We are made alive in Christ. We are brought to faith by the Holy Spirit, brought from death to life. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, life is spoken to each and every one of us. Eternal life in him alone. That is what he speaks to us. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.